one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Ocean Protect podcast talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. Worth noting that clothing is a, a significant source of microplastics in our waterway. So at least, yeah, whilst we often can't do much about the, the big screen TVs and, and items that, uh, you know, we buy and, and need to dispose of, certainly if we just focus on clothing, I guess just for the purpose of this podcast. So, like, so you're telling me recycling is not really a, an option currently. We probably can't rely on personal choice because, look, ultimately people will want to wear lycra, spandex, well, no, 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 hold on. polyester. No, hold on. If you just didn't wash your clothes, you'd be sweet. <laughs> Brad, you know about that. <laughs> I bathe. I bathe once a month, whether I need to or not. <laughs> no, 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 no. But let's talk about let's how it, let's talk about how it gets out there. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. true. Okay. You know. So from what I know, it's obviously through washing your clothes, uh, and then from drying your clothes. You know, going out. There's no filters, or there's no. Oh, we haven't found any filters. I think we we're talking about on a previous podcast mm. that 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 actually filter for microfibers. You know, outside your washing machine or your dryer. You know, if it goes out, you start drying your clothes. It goes out. So uh, that's the only two ways. For, or apart from wind, what else would be good? It's primarily washing, and luckily for you both, um, is that happen to have a lot of knowledge about laundering. I've <laughs> done a lot of actually research into laundering. Um, my, my entire master's thesis was looking at laundering. Which, <laughs> wow. I know. I did, you know, hundreds of loads of washing as part of my research, which people are probably like, oh my gosh, that's so bizarre. But it was actually really informative. First and foremost, top loader or front loader? Front loader. Okay. It was a very specific. It was a research no, 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 but, washing machine. But, okay, but in general, oh. what, what? In what's... general, front loader always front loader. Front loader is more. It's more delicate on your clothing, so your clothing is going to last longer. Okay, it's not as abrasive because think about a top loader machine has that sort of um, middle, the actual agitator in the middle. Yeah. But, um, that's that's going to be abrading your clothing, and so your clothes, and that's the way that it helps clean your clothes, but it also is going to cause abrasion, which is going to cause potentially damage to delicate items or in the case of a jumper that's very fluffy it might cause it to pill if you've been putting your cashmere jumper I never put it in, I never put it in the wash but I do have a top loader I grew up with a top loader my mum always yeah, yeah, you yeah. know like you know just what mind you three kids you know like big family it's all about chucking it in like traditionally that the front loader is obviously smaller 
but you know the top loader you know that's almost boarding mm. school mm. stuff so okay cool but the front loaders are also more efficient in water use as well yeah Okay. Cool. Oh yeah. Have you looked at the the ratings for front loaders versus top loaders? Look, to be honest, I when when I bought that specific one about eight years ago, I was like, does it fit into the space that I need it to fit into? That was that's the way I bought it. I, I wasn't looking at at water efficiency, which I should have been. Um, but no, it's like, does it fit there? Yes, it does. So. Um, I look, I do know that front loaders are more efficient from a water point of view. Uh, and it does make sense. You don't have that internal agitator. I, I just thought, I just thought they were better at washing. Are they better at washing? Not necessarily. And again, lucky for you guys, I happen to have a very good, very close friend who actually worked on washing machine designs for a, a company in New Zealand. I won't name any names. She was designing washing machine cycles. And I actually learned a lot about washing machines from her, especially in New Zealand. There's a lot of cold wash powder. Like people do all of their laundry on cold and they use the specific cold wash powder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone that's lived in, say, Dunedin knows how cold the cold water power. is. It's absolutely, yeah, it's cold, cold power, power. exactly. I still use nah, it today. <laughs> your, your clothes are not getting clean if you're washing them on cold, which is unfortunate in terms of energy. But in terms of actual cleanliness, she assured me that if you're washing your clothes on on a cold cycle, you're not actually really cleaning okay, them. Okay, okay. But oh, okay, really? Uh, Hang on. No, 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 cool. Okay, we're not really cleaning them. <laughs> However, they, they smell clean, so that's fine. But if you wash them on a hot, everything shrinks. Not necessarily. Okay, I'm just trying to think of growing up because, you know, mum would use delicates for hot and then all our stuff for cold. And then, I don't know, do you wash your hot and cold, Brad? Yeah, always cold. In terms of efficiency, I think, and actually cleaning the clothes, definitely the cold, cold washes are not as effective as as using hot washes. And it Mm. it does make sense in terms of, especially if you're using, say, a powdered detergent. Mm. Um, I don't think the detergent dissolves as well in cold water. Mm. Um, And so I think that there's a lot of effectiveness of of the cleaning detergents and that sort of thing in in cold is not as good. Okay. But then we weigh that up with, we're not using electricity to heat our water. Like let's, let's put it all together. Where are we at? You know, is cold power versus hot power? Look, let's, we're, we're going to bring it full circle again. We're a if solutions-based you... podcast, Rebecca. We want the listener to come out <laughs> okay. to know that they want it at 35 degrees. They want a front loader and uh, they're like on a 40-minute cycle. And this is the thing, and this comes back to fashion a little bit as well, which there's a lot of sort of health and hygiene issues around fashion, you know? So we're talking clothes mm. and, and washing. And the great thing about wool, and this is – there's a lot of research that came out of the University of Otago before I was there by a wonderful re- – uh, researcher, Dr. Rachel McQueen, who is basically the world expert on odor in apparel. And she did her PhD in, in New Zealand before I was there. So you can go and have a look at her papers. And her research um, found that wool clothing had the lowest odor, mm. the lowest retention of body odor, and polyester was the highest. So if you think about, and there's a lot of anecdotal evidence out there by people who have worn, you know, wool t-shirts for 30 days without mm. washing them and, you know, they don't smell and that sort of thing. Mm. If we're talking about washing, you know, is it more sustainable to buy a wool t-shirt that you don't wash for 30 days versus a polyester t-shirt mm. that you have to wash every every day, every other day when you wear it? So in terms of microfiber release, perhaps we should all be wearing wool. Ooh. 
my, what, my sorry sorry this is bringing it this, you know, this full circle, full circle, full circle. okay yeah, um so nudie jeans um yeah. i do have a pair on me too go I, well i know you copy me on everything um oh, putting them in the freezer oh, in the freezer okay so i when i first bought like i don't know this five or whenever they first came out i i will put my hand up and say I honestly didn't watch these things for a year. I did put them in the freezer overnight a few times. Sort of worked. But I mean, like, I mean, this is years ago. You know, if my jeans, my nerdy jeans could talk, they'd, you know, they'd be writing a bloody thesis by the end of this. You know what I mean? Like, they'd be everywhere, you know? (laughs) Well, no, no one should read. But, but, you know, again, it's, it's someone as a manufacturer saying, this is what you should do and sort of pushing it down there. I mean, you've got nerdy jeans. Do you wash yours? I, I, yeah, I, I do wash them. I, I never thought not to, and I never thought to put them in the freezer. Well, well, Rebecca, why is that that they tell you that? Because you must be close to it. I think, I think the idea is that if you put it in the freezer, that kills the bacteria that are creating oh. the odors. I'm pretty sure that's the, the rationale for that. <laughs> Brad, and also, Brad runs off and puts his nudies in the freezer. <laughs> Get nudie. I don't I really want all- my jeans next to my bananas in the freezer. <laughs> Just Obviously, get, get, get back to this issue of the microplastic pollution uh, in our waterways from clothing. I'm still struggling to see how we actually solve this problem. So you're saying, oh, yeah, we can mitigate it a little bit by using a front-end loader, yeah, which makes it a little bit more uh, uh, delicate. No, filters. We're going to put a filter, a microfiber filter is that even on possible? our washing machines. There, it is, and there are, there are companies already doing that. So there's companies already developing microfiber, basically sort of like a, a filter that you can put on your washing machine, you can put it on the outlet. There's the guppy bag. So that's a company where they're actually – designing and selling kind of like a little bag that you can put your items in yeah, 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 when, yeah. before you put it in the washing machine to collect the fibers. And that does work. Like like in all your laundry laundering expertise and research, have you found that that actually works? To be fair, I do not have a guppy bag myself to test. Oh. Um, so I, I don't know for sure that that works. Anyway, we should start making filters that go in your washing machine, Brad. Exactly. But, but then what do you do with the, the fibers after you've do they go exactly. in the trash? And do you know if they go in the trash that they're going to end up in solid waste disposal or are they just going to still end up in the waterway? Well, you might you might put it into your um, rubbish, but then your neighbor's got a contaminated recycling bin, so that means the whole truck's contaminated so it doesn't actually get recycled. But this is this is why we're yeah. going to do it. We're, you know, we're, we're going to talk about these issues. We're going to talk about, you know, microplastics and the fibres and the lycras that you're wearing and Mm. I mean, this is why this podcast is so great. You know, like, A, Brad and I get to speak to wonderful people from all around the world, but we get to learn a hell of a lot of shit and yeah, stuff that we yeah. can then start talking about to other people about. And, and this is the conversation, like, linking we had with uh, Dr. Haley Brainy. Like, she identified this issue around microplastic pollution in all these remote areas across America. I don't think it's fair to sort of put the onus on her to come up with this, uh, come up with a solution to that problem. But at least the, the, the idea of this podcast is we actually raise awareness that about the issue and whether we, if we can't solve uh, or discuss solutions uh, uh, as part of this podcast, maybe we sort of inspiring the next generation of sort of uh, environmental entrepreneurs to sort of develop their own solutions around this, whether it be a, a fancy uh, guppy bag and, and actually appropriately scientifically test its performance or coming up with a, a whiz-bang filter that we can put on the end of our washing machines or ideally coming up with an alternative to all these petrochemical uh, ingredients in our clothing, which, again, I didn't even realise was a thing. Exactly. Yeah. To me, the, the best solutions 
at this point would be because I don't I don't think we're going to see polyester not used in clothing mm. anytime mm. soon. Mm. So I think the the best solutions for me are more in the, the wastewater treatment. You know, it would be great. Instead of putting a filter on the washing machine, why don't we put a filter on the pipe that is treating the wastewater for the entire, you know, yeah. municipality of, of, of Melbourne or Sydney or whatever, you know, wherever it might be. Mm. Obviously, I don't know anything about wastewater treatment, so yeah. I can't say my, my, how my, feasible yeah. that would be. Yeah, but. look, I don't know either, but it's certainly something worthwhile investigating. So give me an idea. So wastewater treatment plants generally have a license to discharge a certain quality of effluent and they generally limits around what we call biological oxygen demand, which is like organics, like carbons. Uh, then they've got limits around nitrogen, phosphorus and bacteria concentrations. Never once have I ever even heard of a, a sewage treatment plant or wastewater treatment plant having a discharge limit around microplastics. But again, if you don't know it's an issue, why would you uh, try and do something about it? And in this case, why would there even be a requirement for a for a discharge limit around microplastics? These are these. I agree. It, it's far easier just to uh, essentially develop an innovation that we can basically put on the end of it, one of these wastewater treatment plants as a final sort of fine filtration to remove that microplastics. But in the interim, uh, if that isn't present, and I can uh, assure the listeners that isn't the case at the moment, we probably do need to look at sort of uh, steps um, to sort of mitigate our own sort of, I guess, plastic usages or plastic sort of discharges out of our own laundries, however that may seem. Didn't, didn't Janice... Didn't she say that the majority of the plastic that they were finding out of the atmosphere was coming from the ocean and it was yeah. coming from you know, big bits of plastic breaking down to smaller bits and then big storms, you know, taking that up into the atmosphere? And she said that's – I don't know, I'm just – you know, you yeah. read that paper that says 35% is coming from microplastics off your clothing and Rebecca's saying majority of that is coming from wastewater – and then they're saying the majority of you, should, you Rebecca, listen to the, the, the this podcast. She's saying basically in the Joshua Desert in Utah, basically anywhere between eighty and four hundred bits of microplastic are falling in the most pristine national park areas every square meter every day, literally out of the atmosphere. Anywhere between eighty and four hundred bits of microplastic are falling on one square meter every day in the most remote beautiful areas and she's saying the majority of that's coming from the ocean so no 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 she, she said the majority of it actually i think was from rainfall deposition and uh, a significant portion was just from dry essentially windblown fallout uh, but did she did say the majority of the plastic was from clothing but one of the interesting things that uh, sorry she, she didn't say it was from the ocean it's fact she did, that. Uh, that, that, that this is the thing they don't actually know yeah. how much is the the various the, the how much is contributing via the various transport mechanisms dr haley brainy referred to Genus. oceans burping plastic out of the out of the ocean and then into the atmosphere then from there it gets transported often thousands of kilometers and then might be deposited in, in, a, in an area so that's one transport mechanism another another transport mechanism is obviously wear and tear so basically your your the clothing fibers you know just by you running about and wearing your clothing might just sort of break up but 
one thing that you're sort of saying is, and your research is indicating, is that the actually washing of the clothing is, seems to be a, a key transport mechanism. I, I personally think we just need to get a better understanding of the problem, but also the various transport mechanisms around this problem. Certainly, uh, laundry discharges and sewage discharges seem to be uh, are likely to be a, a significant source, but I, I'm not actually sure how much uh, how it would be relative to say just general wear and tear of people wearing the clothing and then from there the plastics falling on the ground and getting windblown or, or something like that or, or, or falling on the ground and being washed off with stormwater runoff. Um, have you got a, I guess from your perspective, Rebecca, have you got a feel for what is the likely relative contribution of, say, microplastics from clothing, you know, discharging via the sewage or just wear and tear in the open and then being blown or washed away by a rainfall? I mean, my, my gut reaction is that it's probably mostly coming from laundering because that's where the clothing has the most abrasion. Mm. And obviously you have the water there as well, which would be acting as a lubricant mm. in terms of moving fibers around. You know, we know that we have a lot of fiber movement in a fabric in washing because that's where we see things like pills and that's where we see things like shrinkage happening. So shrinkage is happening because the fibers and yarns in your fabric are actually moving during the laundering process. Mm -hmm. So that to me says that, you know, just understanding the physics of fabrics and how they behave, their material properties, to me says that laundering will be a big contribution. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. But the other thing is that I think it's really important to note that different fabrics are going to be contributing different amounts of microplastics. So as we were sort of touching on the other week, fabrics that are composed of short synthetic fibers, so things like polar fleeces or acrylic jumpers or any sort of if you see a fabric, if you're if you're wearing a garment that's polyester and it is pilling really badly, you can probably suspect that that particular garment is contributing more microplastics. So when we're talking about garments like our, you know, our cycling wear that we're talking about, mm. those sorts of garments rarely pill because they're made mm. of really long filament fibers. Mm. And so in that type of garment, because of the nature of the construction, it being a long sort of filament fiber and probably being quite tightly twisted together, the yarns, and knitted quite tightly, I don't think we're going to be seeing the same level of contribution of mm. microfibers from a fabric like that than, say, a polar fleece. Mm. I mean, that's just, again, I haven't actually sat down and done research looking at these types of comparisons, but from my understanding of fabrics and fabric properties 
and construction, that would be my sort of hypothesis is that different fabrics would be contributing different levels of microfibers based on a lot of their sort of construction properties. Such an interesting chat. Like my mind's spinning at a thousand miles an hour, like thinking about potential solutions and what you could do at a sewage treatment plant in particular. But just getting back to, I guess, innovations like you're you're obviously uh living and breathing in the sort of textile uh space is there any potential uh, developments around i guess non-petrochemical based alternatives to the polyesters and the elastine type fabrics i think actually there's a great potential for hemp to be used as a fiber particularly because it's a natural fiber, it's a cellulose fiber, but it doesn't require as much water to grow as, say, cotton. As far as I'm aware, the hemp fiber is quite long and quite soft. Mm. So I think there's a lot of potential there. But the problem with hemp, of course, is its associations with THC and that sort of thing, uh, which actually affects the property of the fiber as well. So it is hard to sort of do some research in that area. It's actually, it's hard for us as researchers who may be interested in and researching the properties of hemp and hemp fibers and fabrics, it's really difficult to actually get a hold of those um, items. And certainly a lot of the regulations around growing hemp is really problematic. But I think that one really has a lot of potential. Um, but certainly there's been a lot of legal barriers to growing and researching hemp fibers. Yeah, it's it, it's really interesting you say that. I think almost every conversation I have around plastic, someone will mention hemp as a, as a great solution. And uh, in term, I had a really interesting conversation at a, at a recent conference with, uh, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he was from a group called, I think, Hemp New Zealand. We're going to have to get him on the show now, and then I think of it. But he he was essentially saying that a lot of the concerns around, I guess, the THC content of, uh, which is, the, I think, the the stuff that makes you high when you if you smoke marijuana, that the hemp that they essentially grow to f- as a farming in terms of making products, and you can make essentially anything out of hemp, whether it be plastic alternatives, clothing, say batteries and stuff like that he was saying essentially you need to smoke about a, a like the equivalent of like a telephone pole uh, of a sort of a joint if you imagine to get any remote sort of uh, high effects from you know, smoking the hemp that they uh, essentially farm but the problem is people still see a, a, a hemp farm and want to break in and steal it from what i've read brad so you've got a male and a female plant the female plant is the one that produces the the bud or the flower that's what gets you high the male plant is what they use for hemp and yes you are correct you'd have to smoke a hell of a lot of that stuff but interesting segue so back in new zealand they're building and uh, a very good dear friend of mine barbara proven has built the first house in the south island new zealand out of hemp creek maybe you should ditch melbourne out of uh, out of quarantine go back to otago and you can do some hemp research i mean um, i think there's an abundance of it over there so do you do you know that you can do that over there i wasn't aware that um that was that was happening in otago i have not heard of this hemp creek it's around the corner from my place and it's just a really efficient way to build it's um it's cheap it's insulation properties are amazing it's pretty much fireproof and the texture like you know, from looking outside and in, it's just amazing. You can paint it. It's it's fantastic. So yeah, we should get that guy and, and mm. talk about hemp. 
And, and just getting back to the microplastics in it coming out of our laundry machines, like when you're washing an item of clothing, is it fair to say that the microplastic discharges coming from that clothing piece will actually decrease or plateau over time or, or how does it work? Obviously, there's only so much plastic that will come out of a piece of clothing, but is it always going to be constantly abrasing? That is an excellent question. That is a really excellent question. And that is something that I have been wondering myself. We know that the properties of fabrics and the number of washings um, that you do, that the properties of fabrics do change over time. And again, I think it really probably comes down to the fabric. I think in t- the case of some fabrics, you probably see more microfiber release in those early washes, mm. you know, when you wash it the first or second time. Whereas with other types of fabrics, you might see more microfibers being released more towards, you know, maybe the 50 or 60th wash. I don't really know, but that is a question that I would love to answer through some some research. Well, but it makes sense. And it and, and brings, brings me to my next question. You know, when you clean out your dryer, you've got all that fluff, that's essentially just microplastics. Absolutely. That would be microfibers, probably residual. Well, look, I mean, I'm, I'm not the brightest kid around the world, but Brad, you said you weren't aware of this either. So. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm just staggered how ignorant I was to this issue. Uh, and now that I sort of know about it, I'm sort of, I guess, uh, trying to brainstorm things that we can do to mitigate this issue. But I guess- Well, we, the, we can do it. I mean, th- I mean yeah. this is the whole point. This is what I do love about spending late nights in our garage talking to wonderful guests and talking to you, Brad, is without you, you can't provide a solution until you know the problem, you know, and awareness is the biggest thing. And and if you think about it, it's so simple, you know, but yet it's just coming up to the surface. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful feeling. It's really wonderful for us, but for our listeners as well. Like if uh, for the for the listeners at home tuning into our uh, podcast, are there some key take home messages that they could sort of undertake in their own lives to minimise their own sort of uh, microplastic? Uh, footprint. Uh, Absolutely. And I think a lot of them came out of that wonderful, some of those wonderful papers that I, I shared with you, mm. which were one of them suggested that using a liquid detergent was a beneficial way of reducing the number of microfibers that was released. And so I think that's a really easy way to switch over. I mean, here in Australia and New Zealand, I know most people probably use powdered detergents, whereas like in the United States, everyone uses a liquid detergent, which is, you know, just interesting mm. cultural differences. Certainly, you know, if you want to go out and get a guppy bag or get one of the filters that go on the end of your washing machine, I think that would be a great way as well mm. to try and catch those microfibers. If you can wash your clothes less often, if you can mm. get by washing things less often, um, you know, I think that would be definitely a, a way as well. And certainly, this is a thing that's really hard is to try and reduce your consumption and purchasing of fabrics that are going to be releasing microfibers. Mm. And unfortunately, in terms of the data out there, we don't know exactly what those those products are. But certainly, you know, if you're buying less synthetic polyester garments, especially a polar fleece, I think has been identified as a, an item that really releases a lot of microfibers into the wash cycles. Again, it's not just clothing. So it could be bedding as well. There's mm. a lot of sort of especially at the moment, trends for like fluffy blankets, really furry, fluffy blankets, those are often made out of synthetics. So if you think about mm. those furry, fluffy blankets, if you put one of those to the wash, you're going to see a lot of microfibers yeah. coming off, something like that. Well, hold on. You're wearing a um, pretty sort of comfy feeling scarf. What's that made I out know. of? Actually, I don't even. I yeah, think it's let's acrylic. do this test. I know. <gasps> see, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just as guilty as everybody else. I'm not going to pretend. Yeah. 
Yeah, acrylic, cold hand wash, dry and shade. Okay. Yeah. No, no, well, I'm just going to call this out. Brad, you're donning an Ocean Protect uh, T-shirt, so am yeah. I. 100% cotton uh, T-shirts as a, as a side note, we should point uh, out. 100% uh, cotton, protect. but you think yeah, about every T-shirt that you buy, everything that you buy, it almost makes you feel weird. Like I've um, Rebecca, Brad and I, oh, sorry, Brad's, tagged me along in a few of his ultra swim run events and I've been the sort of the poor guy sort of swimming behind him. But we've done some pretty cool stuff over the years. And all that lycra that we're yep. running around in is basically an advertisement for petroleum and plastic. Yeah. It is, a, it is an eye-opener. I guess another sort of just a, a key message would be to essentially just buy less clothes, really. And one, one thing we've obviously haven't really talked too much about is we focus on the microplastic content of our clothing, but we shouldn't forget that a lot of our clothes come in plastic packaging. Oh, yeah. Uh, so if we can, I guess, try to avoid plastic packaging as much as we can, and, and if we do get something in plastic packaging, tell the, the supplier to say, hey, can I, do I really need all this? Yeah, um, mate. Do you know what? I reckon you get Jeff Bozos on the uh, the podcast. Let's talk to uh, to Mr. Amazon about the amount of plastic waste they have. And, yeah. you know, as, as, as a really good point, Brad, Rebecca and I were talking, and shameless plug, I'm a non, non-executive director and a little shareholder in a company called Arch and & Hook. And before uh, I met Rebecca, it's a company born out of Amsterdam, and it's essentially trying to drive change in the coat hanger industry. So mm. if you want to Google Arch and Hook and talking about coat hangers, and if you think about it, the supply chain from where you buy the clothing and where it comes from, and then it goes on one hanger, then it gets delivered to a shop, and then they take that hanger off and they put another hanger on, and then it breaks, so they just throw it away. And, you know, it's I guess what we're getting to, what Brad's getting to is, you know, we're crawling around in plastic. We're wondering mm. why we're choking our environment with plastic. We're we're, mm. we're, we're wearing it. We're 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 eating it. We're mm. you know, it's it's just mind blowing. And you know, the good thing is, and and the thing that I, you know, encourage every listener to really try and hone in on. The more we know, the more we can change. You know, yeah. and that's a, the wonderful thing about this podcast, and the wonderful thing about chatting to people like Rebecca is. Wow, knowledge is power. And Brad, you won't have any problem buying any uh, any less clothes. You won't have any problem, uh, you know, not cleaning your lycra. I've been around, you know, you hang it up, you go for a swim, you think it's clean. You're fine, mate. I think going back full circle, the amount of uh, microplastics coming off your clothes would be very minimal by now. Thank you, but I certainly am going to investigate this option of putting a filter on my washing machine. And I, look, I'm actually going to have a chat to some of the water authorities, the sewage treatment plant operators around this issue around microplastic and just seeing, just asking the question, what are you guys doing about this issue? Do you realize the magnitude of this problem, which you guys can potentially solve? It's a good news story for those guys if they can solve it readily. Boom. So, um, and again, it's again, just getting back to Jeremy's point, it's one of the great things about this podcast is that we get to sort of delve into the science behind issues, get a better understanding and subsequently drive change to so appropriately address them. And and this is one, like plastic pollution is a big issue, but I still am very confident it's one that we can actually readily solve. And getting back to how we actually start, met uh, last week, that that film, The Story of Plastic, and I'll include a, show, uh, a link oh, in the it, show it, notes. It's mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. It really it's is a, really a good staggering, doc, yeah, really good documentary. But it, look, let's be honest, it does give a fairly doom and gloom uh, depiction of the, the plastic 
pollution problem and it very much focuses on i guess uh driving change to the petrochemical industries because uh, they they are essentially the suppliers of plastic and so there's a real focus on getting them to change or at least reducing the subsidies that they pr- they receive so i'd encourage all people to uh watch that uh documentary but certainly i guess uh, talking about the solutions that we can all ma- make uh, or, or can all do in our own individual lives is a really good thing as well. Two things said. Uh, I, I felt quite stoked being on the webinar last week because that was the closest I'd get to being at university. Like, a, um, <laughs> you, do you know what I mean? So I rang mum. Mum couldn't get on the, you know, the webinar. Hey, mum, I'm sort of on this university thing. So, look, just, just so you know, Rebecca, Brad and I are always free. If you need a guest lecturer, we can come down. We can start talking about how these microfibers are getting out into a marine, marine environment. Look, you know, you've got, our, you've got our details. We'll welcome the invitation with, with, with warm hands. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. I'm sitting here thinking, well, who would have ever thought that, you know, a degree in textile science and suddenly you would be talking so much about sustainability and Mm. and certainly I don't want to pretend that I'm the authority on microplastics because there's a lot of great researchers out there who really are making this their field, but I will I will probably say that I'm a textile expert and textile science expert. We 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 can tell. Throw my <laughs> throw my head in the ring there and having some understanding of of why this might be a problem. But yeah, it's been really great. Uh, thank you so much for having yeah. me, and um, it's been fun to sort of spread the textile nerd news. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's hip to be square. I reckon it, it is hip to be square. And look, Rebecca, this has been such a fascinating chat. Like, uh, you, I think we sometimes get a little bit complacent thinking that we know it all, but clearly we don't. And you, you have certainly enlightened me into the world of uh, textiles and the, the microplastics that lie within them and, you know, the, the magnitude of the problem uh, and I guess the, the extent of, uh, of, of the transport mechanisms in particular and obviously some, some really good take-home messages in terms of solutions as well. So from that regard, thank you so much for being on our podcast. It's been fantastic. I really have enjoyed uh, having you on our show and uh, uh, really interested to see what sort of other research you come up with in the next few years as well. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.